thankful once again to be before you all to proclaim the word of the Lord. This morning we will be in uh, the epistle, first epistle of Peter, chapter 2. I thought about the title of a message which I'm not very good at. But when I read this text, some very important themes come through. You have written on order of worship today, a people for his own possession. But as I thought about this, I thought about the indicatives that come from this text, the things that describe what, what Peter is describing. And he's describing a people chosen, priestly, holy, and ransomed. And so today as we look to what he is communicating by the Holy Spirit, I want you to think about those indicatives. And I want you to think about your walk with Christ. Let's go to the Lord and ask Him for His help this morning. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word and the truthfulness of it. We ask that You would bless this time, that it would be honoring to You. Pray that You would help us to be focused upon what You have said. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would cling to the rock of ages that their hope would be built upon nothing else. Lord, we thank You so much for speaking. And Lord, we pray this morning that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to You, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. For all this in Christ's name, Amen. So this morning... I have three main points that we're going to look at. If you want to take a look at writing those down. Number one is your spiritual diet. Point number two, a spiritual house. And point number three, a people for his own possession. So this morning, as we look to the text, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. First Peter chapter two, verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The epistle of Peter is written to a group of believers whom he calls the elect exiles of the dispersion. The elect exiles of the dispersion are just the people of God that are scattered. There was this idea in the Old Testament where the Jews were dispersed away. Well, Peter writes to a group of Christians who are persecuted. A lot of what you will read as you go through the rest of his letter to these churches is meant to be an encouragement to stand firm in the face of the adversities and difficulties that they're going through, the persecutions that they're going to, and to be able to boldly look upon these persecutions as ordained by God and profitable for the people around them that the word of the Lord may be proclaimed in all the earth. And in a lot of ways, this idea of being exile, exiles is true for every Christian because this world is not your home. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You are, in a lot of ways, like an exile. This is not where you're from. You're in a foreign land. And so what Peter is encouraging these people to do is to take a hold of the salvation that God has accomplished on their behalf and to live in such a way that others may come to know the chief cornerstone before it is the time in which they will stumble and be dashed to pieces by it. Three truths that Peter brings out in chapter 1 that are very important for us to take a hold of. God, if you are a Christian, has chosen you. You have been sprinkled by the blood and God is sanctifying you. God has accomplished all three of those things. And so as we look to this text in chapter 2, it's important to keep that in mind. And that brings us to our first point, your spiritual diet. Peter, immediately building upon chapter 1 and his call for us to to live holy, to be holy as the Lord God is holy, to be set apart, starts off by saying to put off certain things. Put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. To put these things off. In the Scripture, you are never left in this place in which you are told, do not do these things and then don't do anything else. 
The, the Christian life, you are not defined by what you do not do only. We put away these things, but we put on what is good. So he says, put away ill and evil um, dispositions to others, malice. Put away these things that actually hinder you in your growth. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that only God supplies. When I think about this, this is so clear to me because I've had two little ones in the last two years. But when you have a child, there are some characteristics about them, especially when they're young. And Peter is very, very much trying to make a purposeful statement here. So what are some characteristics of an infant that longs? They need to be fed consistently and perpetually. They are not satisfied if their needs are not met. They are totally reliant upon their caregiver to provide what they need. And they trust that they will be fed. All of those things in verse 1 take us away from this point and hinder us from being like newborn spiritual infants. We are to be innocent to the evil things of the world if you have been called in Christ and wise toward the things of the Lord. Peter is not making a statement like Paul makes or the writer of the Hebrew makes whenever he says, you guys should be eating solid food now. No, he is saying you need pure food. Pure spiritual milk. And why do we need this? That we may grow up into a salvation. That we may come to understand the things and the will of the Lord more clearly. And I want you to think for a moment, how does your spiritual diet look? Do you eat malice and envy? Are you full of deceit? Are you taken back by the things of the world in which they live in this way? These impurities. Do you long after the Lord and His Word as an infant longs after milk? Could you describe your seeking this spiritual nourishment as consistent and perpetual? Or do you seek to consume those things that do not profit? They may profit in this life. I ask you this not to make you feel bad, but to help all of us to take a look at our hearts and our desires. We have been in the book of Hosea and we've been studying these things. And I think back to two weeks ago to chapter three. Where the people of God had exchanged. That which God supplies for raisin cakes. And I ask you this as I ask myself this. Have you exchanged the pure spiritual milk of God for something that is not profit? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, be reminded and let us repent together and turn away from seeking those things that take away and to go back and to look at the pure spiritual milk, the Word that God supplies. Peter is encouraging them to do this because really the root of our holiness lies in the power of God's Spirit. And we are sanctified by the Word of God. The pure spiritual Word. I'm reminded of what Jesus quotes to Satan when he is being tempted. Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so I ask you that. What is your spiritual diet? And as we move on, because your spiritual diet is a characteristic and a, a, a very real thing to the Christian, to those who are in Christ, Peter moves on to talk about us collectively as Christians, as a spiritual house. Let's look at verse 4. He says, As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He is speaking about the Lord Jesus here. And we of all, if you are in Christ, have come to Him. And He specifically mentions Him as being a living stone. Christ was resurrected. He defeated sin and death. And in fulfillment of the psalm and our call to worship today, the stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. Peter is writing to a group of most likely a mix of Jewish folks and Gentiles. But these truths are so important because God has fulfilled something here. God has done something. He had said in Isaiah, he quotes, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The people of that day, just like the people of our day, have rejected this stone. All of us at one point or another, if you are in Christ this morning, there was a day and there was a time in which you had rejected the Lord Jesus. And you had rejected the chief cornerstone. And He did not appeal. He did not have all of these things that may look, make Him look good. And as a builder, I see what is happening here. My whole professional career, I have built buildings in some form, fashion, or another. And if there is a material that is not meeting a certain standard in which, I, which we must have, then it should be rejected. Well, the standard of the world looked upon the Lord Jesus and He did not meet them. He was despised and rejected by men. Despised and rejected by me. But in Christ, that living stone, though rejected by me at one point, was the very means by which I was saved. And if you are in Christ, the very means by which you will be saved. And are continuing, continuing to be saved. He goes on, in light of this truth of what God has accomplished, in light of the truth that, like Peter says in verse three of chapter one, that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he talks about what God is doing. You yourselves, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. To be what? To be a holy priesthood. I think oftentimes this idea of what is called the universal priesthood of believers is foreign to us. But during the time of the Reformation and throughout the Middle Ages, the Roman church had taught that the priest 
were the only people who really were to have access to God. And in a similar way, they were to perform spiritual sacrifices. And what they had was their spin on communion in which the priest would actually get up and the people, the ordinary people of God would just watch this priest perform an act. Communion himself. That was not for the ordinary people. That was for this man who supposedly had a special connection on behalf of the people of God. When I read 1 Peter chapter 2, I do not see that. You yourselves, yourselves, not a special group of people that have some kind of special access. You yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the great high priest who has provided a sacrifice on our behalf, and He has, then these sacrifices are not meant to earn some sort of thing to God. We don't need Mike to get up here and to perform communion for you. We are partakers and we are a kingdom of priests to God. And we are represented by the high priest who sits in that place. We have full access to God as priests. You don't have to ask somebody else to go to God. Christ is the high priest. He sits at the right hand of God and He is our mediator. And so, with that in mind, this idea that we are living sacrifices, we are living stones, we are being built up. The temple of God is not a building. It is God's people being built and brought together. I'm reminded of what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. I will turn there and I will read that briefly. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. This is not a new idea. That's why I'm reading this. This is not an idea that Peter has come up with. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The job that was consigned to a special group of people for so long. Representatives that we must go to. No more. Christ is on the throne and He is our great high priest and we have access to God because of what Christ has accomplished. And so when we think about our spiritual diet, there is no excuse for not going to our Lord and seeking that pure spiritual milk that only He provides. Living stones. Priest to God. Offering spiritual sacrifices. Only acceptable to God because of what Christ has done. We continue going down as Peter builds upon his argument. The fact that God had determined before the foundation of time to set Christ in this place. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone 
a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Amen. It was true then and it's true today. He goes on and he says, The honor is for you who believe, but for those that do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Maybe you're here today and you have not come to know this chosen cornerstone, this Christ, this Jesus. Before you stumble. Look to Him. He goes on and He says specifically at the end of verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. That's a pretty heavy thing to say. Um, As I was studying this, I ran across what uh, Matthew Henry says on this passage of Scripture, I think it is going to be edifying to us. Matthew Henry says, uh, verse 8, He is not the author of those their sin, those who have are stumbling because they disobey. God did not cause their sin. But He is the only the occasion of it. Their own disobedience makes them stumble at Him and reject Him which He punishes as a judge with destruction. MacArthur states, those were not appointed by God to disobedience and unbelief. Rather, these were appointed to doom because of their disobedience and disbelief. Judgment on belief is as divinely appointed as salvation by faith. If you do not trust Christ, you will stumble and you will be dashed into pieces because the stone that the builders rejected, the stone that I rejected, and because of God's grace and through the power of His Spirit, and I've been caused to be born again, just like chapter 1 says, because of God's mercy, because of the sprinkling of Christ, that is the only reason by which I've come to accept this stone by faith. But if you will not, you will stumble. There is no question about that. Peter, moving on, uses some descriptive terms to describe us. He says, but you are a chosen race. Race here is not an ethnic one ethnic people in particular. God calls people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But as people of God, we are all chosen in Christ. If you are in Christ... But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He goes on in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A chosen people. If you paid attention to Mike's preaching and the reading of Hosea, you will know that Peter quotes directly from that passage of Scripture to make the point 
especially to to the Jewish people, but also to the Gentile in particular, as a, a more fuller um, fleshing out of what God had intended then. God called us who were dead in sin, who were Gentiles, who were not of the special people of God, who had been called ethnically. There was nothing in us that He saw, no foreseen faith, no good and righteous acts that He made us His people if you're in Christ. But only because of His mercy and His glory so that we who were once no people, we who were once were under the wrath of God, could have mercy. And He accomplished that through the work of Jesus. He goes on to encourage them. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, people who are in a foreign land, Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when men speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I believe that the Scripture here encourages us just as it encouraged the Christians of that day to live a faith that is based upon the truth of what has happened to you. Not out of trying to earn some sort of special place, but out of sincere and good gratitude to the one who called you out of darkness, who made you alive without anything in yourself that to cause it. The Lord is still calling people today. He is still gathering his people. He is still having mercy on unforgiveness unforgiving sinners, and He is still sanctifying. He is still making His people like Jesus. And so I have questions here of myself and for all of us as we look at this text and I ask, have we continued to seek Him and the the sustenance that He has provided as infants long after milk? And have we sought to grow in holiness by putting away passions of our flesh? Putting away those things that still joy, malice, deceit, envy, strife. That still our joy in serving Him as kingdom, a kingdom of priests who offer spiritual sacrifices. If you do not know Christ today, please, Trust in this one, the rock of ages. He is your only hope. You can get rid of all malice and deceit in your life and still not know the truth. You can sanctify your outward body and live as a righteous person from the world's standards, but the Lord knows. And the Scripture does not teach that somebody cleans up their life and quits doing bad things. In the words of Odebacham, hell will be filled with people who don't cuss, don't drink, don't have sex outside of marriage because not one of those things makes you a Christian. Only Christ. Only trust in the living stone. 
And understand this, that He takes people who were not a people. He took people who had the wrath of God upon their head. Rightfully so. And gives them life. Have you trusted in the cornerstone? And does your trust in the cornerstone change your life? Let us pray. Father, we thank You that You are still calling people and sinners unto Yourself. You are the only way, only way by which unrighteous people who dwell in the darkness and love it are saved. And Lord, we know that You have sent us a great light through the Word of Christ. And You have a particular people. And You are calling sinners unto Yourself. And Lord, we know that everyone who does call upon Your name by faith will will come to know You, will be saved. And we know that You are still saving unrighteous men and women. Lord, I pray that You would help us as Christians to take a hold of the salvation that was accomplished on our behalf. That You would help us to be comforted by the fact that You have chosen us, that You have sprinkled us in Your blood, and that You are not finished conforming us into the image of Your Son. Lord, help us to take a hold of this thing and to seek You as infants. After Your Word at every moment. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.